This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is psychologist Rocco Mamaliti. He specialises in LGBTQIA and youth psychology. We chat about what drew him to psychology, the inherent need for connectedness, especially within the LGBTQIA community, and how he processes being a human being whilst also a psychologist. We need to rely on other people because we do depend on them. We do depend on each other. And that connectedness and that, we use a term in psychology called unconditional positive regard. But that's just a fancy psychologist word for love. This is another version of love or loving kindness. And that is what needs to be normalized. I'm chatting to psychologist Rocco. Now let's find out how he found himself where he is today. How long have you been in psychology? Oh, I said I've been doing this for about four years. I'm including my internship in that because I believe that counts. I've been doing this specific work, I guess, since early 2020. So 2020 was the year I started working for real. So that was a fun year to start, obviously. (laughs) Wow, that would have been really interesting and hard to navigate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely was. There was some panic mode going on very early on. And thankfully, I had the support around that time. So, yeah. Did you always want to be a psychologist? I'd say a version of it, yes. I remember like when I was much younger, it was like, I want to be a scientist. Didn't know what that meant. Very early on, I would say like, you know, when you start thinking about that sort of thing, year 10, year 11-ish, that was what I decided on. And so straight out of school, you went to uni and started studying? Mm. I started studying broadly in science. And the short version of the story is I did lots of different things in a general science course, you know, and eventually went back to because I was like oh no maybe not psychology maybe it's not for me and then eventually I was like well maybe it is for me I just came back around to it eventually what do you think it's it is about psychology that drew you to Mm. the profession it would be a couple of things it would be wanting to connect with people I think was definitely an unconscious thing for me and then became conscious uh, after a little while I was like you know I want to connect with people but also there's the conscious part of me that was like when I was younger in high school I had a therapist and a counsellor and and all that, and I got help. So I wanted to do that for other young people. So, yeah, that was that's legitimately what it was. It sounds like such a, you know, cliche, I guess, maybe, but that's literally what it was. And what, I guess, drew me to continue with it was the connection thing and wanting to help people connect with others as well, I think. So you're at uni, you're studying a bunch of different Mm -hmm. science stuff. Yeah. And then was that just so terrible that you were like, oh, this this isn't what I need to do? (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely like, you know, doing uh, physics and chemistry and that. And it's surprising how it all becomes so mathematical and I'm just not mathematically minded. Well, that's a cliche also. (laughs) uh, You know, it's just like, and then I was like, no, 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 this isn't for me. This isn't for me. I'm more like interpersonal, more humanistic, more like philosophical, I guess, even though I didn't do philosophy, right? So I leaned more in that direction eventually. It just took me a little longer. Do you think any of the science stuff and, and the other stuff that you did at uni does inform what you do now in psychology? I would say the the biology side of it and the neuroscience side of it for sure. But uh, look, it helps with understanding. 
for sure. You know, I'm, I'm still like very science minded. I, I'm curious about the, the micro and the macro and the relationship there. So it's good and important and interesting to know the human body and the human human at all those levels yeah. and how it just it interworks. Rocco uses his previous science experience within his practice. I wondered whether when he started psychology, he always knew he wanted to specialize in LGBTQIA plus and youth psychology. A lot of what is available in internships is schools. I actually don't know how that is now, but certainly traditionally it is that because it's easier to find the need for therapy and help, I guess, mental health help in schools because they're a very high risk population. So mostly working with kids, teens and young people. And what I learned slowly is that, like, I think now, I think if you can work with teenagers, you can work with anybody because you have to look at everything that goes on in the teenager's life. It's not just them, it's their school, their friends, who's around them, their family and their context and their culture and how it's just so chaotic for their life in that period. It's no wonder that they're high risk in terms of mental health, right? So I didn't really get into that until 2020 is, is what I'm saying in working with LGBT. And was that a conscious choice as well? It wasn't the the driving force, no. I, I applied for this position and I didn't really, like, It's I think it said, you know, LGBTQIA plus friendly and all that, or like welcome or that's their focus or one of their focuses, I should say. And then you got the job. Well, actually, one of them actually said to me that, you know, this is why we've hired you because you're gay. <laughs> I didn't really drive with that in the beginning. I thought it was like, pigeonholing me and what I realized was driving that sort of fear of being pigeonholed was a little bit of internalized homophobia and what I noticed after I had like a bunch of chats with people who were supporting me at the time and realized is like it's actually helpful for LGBT people specifically gay men to talk to other gay men and as soon as I made that shift and didn't take much and to be myself and to not I guess hide it it immediately changed. So I was like, yes, I'm in it now. Like, this is where I'm meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah, so you that, kind of fell kind of, into the position, yeah. but then you've yeah. you've grown into understanding or at least you understand the importance of the patient being in a position to talk to someone that is or mm-hmm. has had similar life experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of, I asked Rocco about LGBTQIA plus specific mental health care and what he thought was important when it comes to that care. Maybe this is my naivete a little bit, but I think we're getting slightly better at this slowly, but I think it's so important to normalise feeling what you feel, being emotional, and not perpetuating shame, okay, or actions that shame others, okay? And I find that in, in I guess I can speak for the G in the acronym because, you know, you that's can. What I, <laughs> what I, because I can, yep. right? But um, I see it in other, in, in other parts too, you know. But also just in culture as a whole nowadays, it's very shame-driven or, you know, about things, money, status, appearance, but it seems much, much stronger in the, in gay culture. And so what I find is a, a lot of, a lot of people's needs in therapy is yeah, normalize it, normalize therapy, normalize talking, normalize that part of it, but also normalizing being yourself. And I think I've found it really helpful to bring my own full, authentic and imperfect self to my therapy. I think the ability to be yourself 
informs the therapy. And in particular, I find the need in, in the LGBTQI plus community in a therapeutic space is, is normalizing that, hey, we have a shared experience here. We have a shared upbringing. Yes, there's, the bits and pieces are different, but a lot, there's a lot of similarities in the growing up, growing up in the closet, growing up being gay or, or otherwise, you know. And so that's, that's a strong need I see. What that does, I think, is it normalizes it for them to then see that it's okay to be myself. It's okay to, to, to be gay and whatever that means, right? What that looks like. Is there something about being a psychologist that has surprised you? Like when you were studying and you thought, okay, I've picked it. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Is there something that has happened since being out in the world that you're like, oh, wow, I never would have imagined that's something that is in the life of a psychologist? The business side of things. You're not taught how to run a business, to be your own business, to be an entity. It's not part of the course. And I think it really should be, to be honest. We're not taught how to run a business, but it's a huge element of being a psychologist is because you're not always going to go and work in a clinic that's already pre-established. Like I'm not an employer or an employee. I'm a subcontractor. So I'm essentially my own business within a business. But if you go to work for yourself immediately, you're going to navigate that all by yourself. And if you haven't done a business course, I guess you don't know how to do that straight off the bat. So it helps to have like mentors and, and things like that for that sort of thing and people to look up to, I guess. That's another thing to learn to realize is like, maybe this is a, maybe this is a shame thing too. Maybe this is like a self-worth thing, which I guess they're the same thing is knowing your worth in terms of like your time. It's such a weird thing to say, I guess, but valuing your time and just time in general, because maybe it's the mentality of I'm doing th- things to help people and being altruistic and. Some people do like it's imposter syndrome, I guess, a little bit too, you know, when you go, Oh, should I already charging this much for this? What I mean by True. that is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. But what, what I mean by that is like the paperwork side of it is like trying to minimize that as much as possible to a, it's really a, a, an iterative process of trying to figure out how to maximize the interpersonal patient therapist time as well. Because you're like, you got a 50 minute session. And those little 10 minutes are like, that's meant to be for your note writing. But usually it's not for that. Usually it's for a bathroom break or something. <laughs> or something you're, for me, usually making a cup of tea. So you've got to like prioritize, I guess. It must be quite difficult in that situation when you have one patient come through and then 10 minutes to totally reset and then have another person come in with totally different challenges and totally different needs. Mm. How do you do that? That must be really difficult. <laughs> I think you've got to be so self-aware and mindful of your your own triggers, aware of your own body and your own emotions, right? For example, like the way you describe it, I've actually described it before as like riding the wave with somebody of emotions, riding the wave of emotions with somebody. Like someone comes in, you smile, say, hello, how are you? Come on in. You ride the wave with them, you go down into their like sadness and despair and anger and sometimes rage and fury, right? You help them neutralize a little bit or settle most often and hold space for them in the moment and you're along the ride with them and then you share a nice smile at the end you're like okay take care see you next week next person comes in hi how's it going you know and then you do that like five six sometimes seven times a day it is a very strange thing and you've got to be careful of that and I think that's where the self-awareness part of it comes in. Why do you think that psychology is important generally? This is a huge question and I don't expect, Mm. no one expects you to answer this fully and and have the only answer, but why do you think that it's important? 
I think part of it goes back to the importance of it in culture overall, but in gay culture or LGBTQIA plus culture specifically is the need of being connected with each other, not just because of what's going on in the world at the moment. I just mean normalizing and, and really helping people lean into the fact that humans are a species who depend on each other for survival. And I think what's perpetuated or what's sort of the message of society, etc., maybe even on a global scale is it's important to be independent. And being dependent on people is, you know, uh, frowned upon or at least... Seen as like almost weak, maybe. Yeah, seen as weak. And if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody or, you know, you shouldn't be getting, you know, that kind of way of speaking on some level, you know, if you, it's harder to be kind to ourselves than it is to other people, sure. But what I mean is we do depend on each other for survival, but also love and care and kindness is a matter of survival. And so helping people understand that coming to therapy is, you know, it's just like having a conversation with somebody, but it's also connecting with someone. It's, it's also allowing that person into your life to where you matter to them and they matter to you. That's pretty hard for a lot of people to do, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, given what I just laid out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Why do you think what you do is important to you personally it is the connection with yourself i think what i've learned to lean into and and accept is that as a therapist you're growing with them and you're learning with them there is this inherent sense of connectedness involved for rocco he mentioned earlier that he can see many different patients in one day i asked how he separates himself from his work and his work from his home life i'm still learning how to do that but i think the one thing is knowing boundaries. And so even if I'm doing telehealth, I do it at the office. I don't take my work home with me. Having said that, like I might answer the odd email here and there if I need to, but I just don't want to do therapy in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's that yeah, is literally yeah. like physically separating the two spheres. Yeah. And so the transition is literal as well. Yep. you know, from work to home, and there's a literal boundary. What do you think the best thing about what you do is? I think the best part is just those small moments where you just – because the work is so creative. Like, I love the excitement of a new day, of getting to meet each person in each moment, and the excitement of getting to be creative and how you are with them, and ultimately along with them on their journey, I guess, if you like, and seeing how – Seeing the progression and how someone grows and changes over time, it's so energizing. It's so, it's just so cool. They show more and more kindness and see themselves as worthy of love and all that. That is where I go, Oh my God, that is amazing. Like that they've sort of like, they've cared enough about the process. They've actually put in the work or, you know, put in the time to take it all in. You're just like, wow, that's really damn cool. It must be so validating to see someone evolve sort of right in front of yeah. your eyes. Yeah, yeah. You grow together. So it's like, because I learn a lot from everyone I work with too. So I've asked you the best part. So I need to ask if there's mm. a worst part. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part is when you're having those bad days. This goes along with being this, like, the self-awareness thing that I said earlier. But you have those bad days where you're just really fragile and really sensitive. And you're like, well... I still got to be there for these people, right? And go along that and ride the wave with them again. And that's why I said before, it's such a, a weird job because you've got your own life. You've got your own things going on in your life. It can be so hard sometimes 
And I think if you're not aware of yourself, you can really burn out. You can really, you can really get empathic distress. It's where you're like. Feel other people's feels? Feel other people's feels too much. So you've got to be aware of that risk. That's probably the worst part. And I guess the paperwork too. Like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll say that too. The paperwork is pretty crappy. In essence, everything that we've chatted about, it comes back to the fact that you're human. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, absolutely. There's a, a wonderful quote by Pema Chodron. She's a, a Buddhist teacher and she says, compassion is not a relationship between the wounded and the healer, but a relationship of equals. And yeah, that's, that's the, like, yeah, you're human and you've just got to lean into the fact that you're human. You're not like an expert. You're not better than them at all. You're just another Studied person. Studied for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's the thing too. I say to some of my patients, yeah, you can go talk to your friends and stuff. Sure. But you can also come here and I can also provide additional or different perspectives on things. So that's where the, the study part comes in. Like there's a reason why we did study for this long to learn how to do that. So we add that. But we also have to be aware and add the human element too. What would you tell someone that's thinking about potentially seeking a psychologist or some mental mm-hmm. health support and hasn't yet? I would say, first of all, do it and know why you're doing it. And just be aware. I think something like, and I'm going to get these numbers totally wrong, and they're probably way different now, but I think around at some stage, 3 million mental health care plans get written up each year. And I think only 1 million actually get filled or get you know fulfilled wow so that's super interesting in itself yeah if you're thinking about it give it a shot give it a shot and i think it's also important like to find the right person for you and if it's not the right fit it's like but it's really more about yeah being informed being informed know know why you're doing it what you what your needs are and then once you're in the room with that person See how the energy is. It's like a first date almost, you know? (laughs) You sort of see how you gel with each other and how the conversation goes and flows. Allow that to inform your decision too. And what would you tell someone that's thinking about becoming a psychologist? I would say the exact same thing. I would say to do it and know why you're doing it. I would say that it's, it's, it's a long road. It's tough. But I learned, another thing that I learned is because I spent so long in my studies, I saw a lot of literally younger people, younger than me, younger than I was, graduating and I wasn't. But I saw how in a hurry they were to do it. Like, let's get out of uni because it sucks being at uni. I just want to work. I want to do a thing. I do this and that. But I feel for me personally, what I wanted to do was I didn't want to do it fast. I wanted to do it well. And as soon as I made that choice, it was like a light bulb moment of it's okay that I've been here for this long because I've actually learned a lot from it. So I think that sort of is is part of it is not rushing through it, being okay with learning as much as you can from your internship because, oof, you want to talk paperwork? That's like the worst of it in the (laughs) internship phase, okay? You don't have to do that once you graduate, guys, like all that paperwork stuff. Um, So be thankful for that because I certainly am. Rocco is thankful for the reduced paperwork and it seems in many ways he is thankful for a career that he is passionate about and that helps him grow too. Before I let him go, I asked Rocco if he thinks he'll be a psychologist forever. Yes, 100%. I think I will. I said to myself one day, like, I want to do this until I fall off the chair. Wow. Right. 
<laughs> maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but like I can see myself doing this for a very long time. Doing other bits and pieces, sure, you know, whatever that looks like, but the work itself, I can see myself doing it for a long time. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Rocco for being on the show. It's been incredibly interesting exploring the idea that your therapist is human too. Plus, how sometimes you go down one path and it leads to another different yet meaningful path. If you want more info about Rocco and what he does, you can head to MacquarieStreetPsych.com. Thanks again, Rocco. And thank you for listening. It truly means a lot that you take the time to listen each week. And I create this show for you. If you love it as much as I do, please do spread the word. I would really love to increase the listenership of this show and get more and more people listening just like you. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tressida. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.